0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hey, everybody. This is Greg Gutfeld. This is the one. I often say I'm excited about podcasts, but I'm really excited about this one because I've been trying to get this guy on this show for like two years. Sometimes he'll say yes, and then he'll disappear into the ether like a ghost, like a mad, brilliant ghost with amazing hair. Uh, I'm talking about Eric Weinstein, and it is Weinstein, correct? It's absolutely Weinstein. See, I knew it. I knew it. Uh, not like that other guy. Uh, you have, uh, you're the managing director of Teal Capital. I just saw your friend speak last night, Peter Thiel.
1: Peter Thiel? Yes. In Manhattan.
0: Yes. And I introduced myself to him, even though I met him maybe 10 years ago at an apartment in Union Square where he was hosting something with Ann Coulter. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, and it was uh, for Go Proud. It was a gay – event. And I, I, I'll never forget that Ann Coulter did a whole thing about how she was against gay marriage to this crowd. It was insane.
1: Really? Yeah, but I, it was... I don't I, get invited to the Ann Coulter <laughs> event. I, I know. And when the did, only reason I'm doing this show today is because you told me it was part of Bernie 2020.
0: Yes, it is. We're going to talk about Bernie because uh, you are a Bernie supporter. I was a Bernie was, supporter in the last but he went, election. But he went too conservative for you.
1: <laughs> in some sense.
0: Yes. Okay. I wanna, I, I'm want to. i still not even through introducing you. You're the managing director of Teal Capital. You're also the host of a new podcast called The Portal. The Portal, the Portal. And, the and portal. what I what I like, oh, that was nice. The little echo in the background. What I I like your concept of the Portal. I've listened to every one of the podcasts, by the way, and I enjoy it.
1: Fantastic.
0: Your your idea, like your idea of the Portal, is like to me, uh, it's about discovering something in the world that that gives you a glimpse into th- into the things around you. That you didn't see before or is it about common misconceptions or what – you tell me what, why. The well, world.
1: the idea came from this uh, ubiquitous uh, children's story in which some child finds a way out of normal reality mm-hmm. through some unconventional object, typically a looking glass, a rabbit hole, a yeah. wardrobe, what have you. And my belief is that there's all sorts of reality that has to be discovered. It's just not present in your everyday experience. Mm-hmm. And so – In large measure, I feel very trapped in our current world. And I've lost interest in our current world. Mm -hmm. I just can't stand to hear the same arguments one more time. I don't like hearing good people uh, run down. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear more squabbling over silliness. And Mm -hmm. so I think a lot of us just want out. And Mm -hmm. so the the search for a way to leave whatever it is that has created the stasis, this mind-numbing Miasma that permeates every aspect of uh, civil society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think lots of people are responding to it because lots of people want out.
0: You know, my portal is embracing everything. You just hate yeah. <laughs> it. Like, I like. I just. I go. I, you know. I live that world. Yeah. So I. It is my. I just. I just dive right in. What is? Give me an example of like a a portal. I remember you talking about one. It was either on Dave Rubin's show or it was on Rogan's show. But it, you, what, how would you describe a porthole?
1: Well. You know, I, I give the example, for example, uh, for instance, uh, of the four chord song. so mm-hmm. if you if you listen to the Axis of Awesome, they did this wonderful parody, or I don't know what to call it, where they do uh, you know a hundred songs that all have the same chord progression. right. And I
0: looked that up when you talked about it.
1: Okay. So what many people may not know is that with a coffee mug and a guitar in about two minutes of instruction, you can play every song that fits that four chord song without changing the tuning of a regular guitar, even if you have absolutely no musical background. Mm. You don't have to learn to finger anything, nothing's going to hurt. There's absolutely nothing that prevents you from playing at least a mediocre version of the universal song that probably, um, you know, whether it's Hey Jude or mm. um, Beast of Burden or whatever it is it's pretty amazing to find out that you can go from 0 to 60 instantly.
0: Yeah, and it's I have so I've kind of learned this uh I bought a guitar 20 years ago. It's Fender Stratocaster. It was like 1996, 97. And then I got a big job and I stopped taking lessons. And now so I picked it up again for yeah. stress release to to reduce uh certain other behaviors. Okay. <laughs> but it it what you're talking about is astonishing if I had only known that because I was such a punk rock fan, I didn't realize I could do that. Like as I'm learning all the songs and I realize, my God, these are simple, so simple, they're boring. Like they're not that hard. I was doing Clash songs, Sex Pistols songs, and I'm, I'm realizing like I could Now could've... I
1: understand what powers Fox News.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes.
1: Anarchy in the UK, brother.
0: I play it every day on The Five. I play uh, – play... you're a punk fan, aren't you? Sure. Yeah, I remember you talking about X. Really, with, with Brett Easton Ellis, yeah, the band,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I was I was singing this most dangerous of all songs, Johnny Hit and Run Paul. One of the
0: probably one of my all time favorites, which I played on the five, oh. and they don't know what it, they don't know what it's about. So I play the opening riff, yeah, Billy Zoom, who I know and is a good friend of mine, and I've,
1: oh, so this is this Chuck Berry quote, and the idea is that it's like it's really. Uh, Johnny B. Good gone totally mutant and hitting Skid Row. Yeah, it's yeah. a, it's
0: a, a, he took a drug that turns him into a crazy rapist. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, but I I never get to that first lyric when I'm playing it on the five. I see. I get, I just have that beautiful riff that opens up that song. And it is, it is Chuck Berry.
1: Well, it's Chuck Berry uh, diving into uh, LA Woman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I did a speech. At the, I don't know where I was, and who was in the audience was Billy Zoom, and it was like
1: holy shit! Yeah, it's like the Pope, <laughs> and Billy Zoom. These are the kinds of people that might be in the audience yes. that will blow your mind.
0: And he is the most taciturn person. So I used to have him on my show Red Eye, and he's the hardest person to interview. He's Clint Eastwood. He's as cool as you think. When you used to see him, when I was, yeah. we're the same age, when he when he was in those pictures, yeah. and how he held his guitar and the face that yeah. he had. There was nobody cooler. Nobody. And and you try to talk to him and he's that person. He he like every now okay, and then.
1: Listen, why does Fox News have this terrible rep <laughs> if you guys are into this like really dangerous out there?
0: They did because they deny it. They uh, when I used to do Red Eye, yeah. um, I had Guar on all the time. Odorous Arungus. I had Billy Zoom. Yeah. I had a crap. Li- oh, Johnny Rotten's been on, I think, three or four times. And uh, oh, by one of my favorite. How many night- of the Ramones? Uh, they were all dead. Well, actually, no, I think I had Marky Ramone on. Uh, one of the next Ramones, but but that was after I left Red Eye, I think. But you know who I had? One of my favorite nights ever. I had Mick Jones of the Clash mm. and uh, Tony James from Generation X, and they were in a band called Carbon Silicon. This has got to be about eight years ago. We yeah. went out and we got hammered, right? Absolutely hammered. And it was one of. And I'm, st- I'm I would say the Clash is my favorite band of all time. So I'm walking with Mick Jones to yeah. Langens, this bar, and he goes, uh, and I go, so how's it going? He goes. You know, I'm, I'm like I'm trying to be contained, right? And I'm basically jelly. Right. And he starts talking to me, and I am not going to do his accent, but it was very soft. He was talking about how he's he lost the confidence to play guitar over time, and he's just trying to get back into it. And I'm just going like, holy crap! He's telling me this stuff as we're walking to get a drink. Is not that amazing? Like to have your guitar hero talking to you about how hard it is for him to get back into it. After, after I guess after he left Big Audio Dynamite and, yeah. and moved away, I've
1: seen this weird stuff where like really amazing people freak each other out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever. Uh, one of the things I love is uh, looking for videos of boxing and MMA matches where two people knock each other out simultaneously because <laughs> yeah. everybody's such an incredible badass. Yeah. Um, at some point, I held a, I think my forty seventh birthday party, and I wasn't realizing that somehow my life had changed a little bit, and all these totally intimidating people showed up and all I had was like kebabs or something. <laughs> and I had a, the guitarist Nels Klein, who's like otherworldly in his ability, yeah. uh, you know, for Wilco and stuff. Mm-hmm. Was just like one okay. Of the, one of the greatest. And I found him hiding in my bedroom because Joshua Bell, the violinist had also showed up. He's like, that's Joshua <laughs> Bell out there. I said, Nels, you're Nels Klein. He's like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah,
0: that's right. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> Wilco has a new album out. Yeah? Yeah, I haven't heard it, though. I I, it. I, uh, I, don't know how I feel about Wilco. I go back and forth. So rather, I like to talk about things I have strong beliefs in. Oh, you talk—
1: Like America.
0: America, you know? You can't spell America without me.
1: Actually, you can't spell it without Eric, so let's not—
0: Yeah, that's true. That's right. You win. Um, so uh, you talked about—you're a, a mathematician. Yeah. What is your normal day like? like what are you so you are you deal with capital, obviously. What is your day like as a mathematician working what's with- well,
1: changing? and you know yeah. uh, like I wake up with fear and dread, then uh, I go through sloth. <laughs> um, I, I I really am not a morning person. Mm-hmm. but recently, uh, I've been focusing on the portal. I think yeah. I've been you know, Peter and I have been talking about where we are in cultural history, why we're off the rails, why it's so hard to get things back on track. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say that one of the things I've been really pleased about with The Portal is if you look at the first episode with Peter, Mm -hmm. who's my first guest, uh, what is it like when you have two people with sort of almost opposite politics who get along great and see much of of the world the same way? It's important. Yeah, and um, that's one of the, you know, like let's be entirely honest, I've always treated Fox News as a sort of a propaganda arm of the Republican Mm -hmm. Party. I think one of the things that I'm starting to understand is the extent to which a lot of the other outlets are the propaganda arms of the other party. So, mm-hmm. and nobody seems to be able to report the news that runs counter to their narrative. Everybody can report the news that follows their narrative, right? But what happens when a story starts to go counter to your narrative? It seems like nobody's able to do that at the moment, which yeah. is fascinating.
0: I can do it, Eric, if you give me a chance. Do you know what changed? I'm I don't concern myself in any. Uh, Silo anymore, even though I know you're laughing at me on the five. Not really. Okay, well, I don't see myself in a silo. I think I am more into like identifying how ideas, how people persuade people, I right. think has become more of, of a. I, that's I, that's my portal. Right. Is the persuasion. You know what? It was a book by, ah, geez, I had him on my podcast called Influence. Um, shit. Do you remember that guy I interviewed? <laughs> anyway. No, no, not Robert Wright, but close. Robert Cialdini. Robert Cialdini? Yeah. Wrote a book called Influence. I, wrote, I read that book and it's all about persuasion and advertising and it was just like – it's something that I felt that I always knew but I never acknowledged. That's the portal. That's like that – it took me out uh, into another place and I've never been able to get back in.
1: Well, I'm always interested in differences between uh, persuasion, manipulation, seduction. Yeah. And – like, Is there any – Well – you know in general we want this came up on the Brett Easton Ellis uh, episode we want to be seduced mm-hmm. and in fact that is a form of manipulation but it's somebody manipulating you to uh, unleash something in the mind that you wouldn't able be able to do for yourself mm-hmm. and so you know the question is whether we feel well served by being manipulated like well that was a rousing speech mm. well did you just fool me into uh, signing up to to go to war or did you just give a stirring speech that it's going to allow us to uh, be victorious in battle? Those are two sort of different conjugations of the same idea Mm -hmm. and I think that um, in part with a low-trust environment permeating everything, we're very wary of um, manipulation but it turns out that we actually want to be manipulated but to our own benefit.
0: It's interesting because what you're doing and I would – you know obviously Rogan, Sam Harris, uh Rubens, I would say Robert I like Robert Wright's podcast because he's a leftist. He runs the, the, the it's called the Peaceful Resistor or something like that, uh anti- anti-Trump, but he uh he's an evolutionary guy. You know Robert Wright, right? Yeah. yeah okay. So um it's on blogging heads, right? Yeah, blogging heads. And there's Scott Adams and the, the long form stuff that you're doing and that Rogan does is it is the antidote to what you're talking about, or at least the path for people who? Because it's hard to manipulate somebody over three hours. <laughs> you know, if you sit down and you're talking to somebody, and you're just and the conversation is going all over the place, you're taking somebody out. You're not. You're not. You're not injecting something into somebody's brain. You're. You're letting them kind of figure it out, and you can find out whether this person is nuts, or maybe half of what he's saying is is real and half of it isn't. That's what I think. Like I always. I always say, you know, there's these moments in the in the uh, podcast history that uh, brought the podcasting into the common mind. And one – it was your uh, your interview with Sam Harris. It had to be like three years ago, right? Which one?
1: The one where – The first
0: one you did okay. with him. The first one you did. And I remember it because I listened to it – I think I listened to it like three times. Okay. And I listened to it because you, you were saying things that I hadn't heard before. And that got me so into like – that direction of podcast, like like having the patience to sit and do it. And it was almost like when you're talking about the guitar, about take, I was going back to college, but I was choosing my own curriculum.
1: Well, I think that there's a bunch of, like there's a lot of movies where the only real academy is some secret place that you, you know, is like not on the map and right. you have to go down an alley in the back of Kathmandu mm-hmm. in order to find out <laughs> yeah. what's actually going on. Yeah. Uh, I think that in some sense, some of this long form stuff is filling that role, that there is the sense of, okay, I've exhausted everything. Why does none of this make sense? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that the format of regular radio and TV is so based around compression and so based around. Um, Spats. Like mm-hmm. let's see if we can get a really good spat going because yeah, that's yeah, going to yeah. be awesome TV. Right. And that creates this opposite demand, which mm-hmm. is like can we actually have something that doesn't look like a cockfight?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's true. I remember though from your podcast with Sam Harris, you said something that you basically predicted I, – I feel like you were, you were predicting Trump was going to win.
1: Well, I, I – bet heavily that this guy who I also have had on the podcast, Timur Koran, mm-hmm. who's an economist at Duke, that his theory is that revolutions happen when we all are forced to lie to each other. Mm-hmm. And everyone was forced to lie to each other, not necessarily that they loved Trump, but mm-hmm. people were so effing sick of the yes. Clintons.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's that it.
1: nobody wanted to admit I hate the Clintons so much. Mm-hmm. That I would consider voting for the cat in the hat to yeah. come in and play while mommy and daddy are gone.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it's true. You know, um, I remember it. It was so funny because I wasn't uh, – I didn't vote for Trump. I didn't vote for Hillary. I'm not even sure who I voted for because I, I – I, I, I think Baba I might have – Yeah, I, something that silly. I might have written my no, my own name in it. But it was so funny because I was listening to Sam Harris interview uh, Andrew Sullivan before the election and the whole point of the, the – uh, The whole point of the podcast was to talk about how you have to vote for Hillary and you – under no circumstances can you vote for Trump. No circumstances. But they said in fairness, we should talk about what's wrong with Hillary first before we get to that. And So Andrew Sullivan, who is the most anti-Trumper, spent 20 minutes dissecting Hillary. And then when he was done, it was like – you just did the exact. I can never look at Hillary the same again. It was pretty funny. They actually had a. Achi- I think they persuaded more people to vote for Trump than they intended to
1: vote. Well, this is like when uh, NPR did this thing on ecstasy, and uh, like after everybody heard the the uh, piece on ecstasy, they, they said, where, "Where can I get some?"
0: <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Because I, I was like, and I was I was anti-Trump. I had, and Trump knew that, and uh, and we were you know on the five from twenty. 20- I don't know, 2015 to 20 to the election was a cacophony. It was a pure war between people who had their choices and were so upset and it was really ugly. And then when he got elected, I just uh, I just wiped my slate clean and said deeds, not words and and realized that I've said this before, that he's a three hour drive to one hour at the beach. You just have to it's like it's bumpy, but then you get there and there might be something good at the beach, but it'll be an hour.
1: You're I don't like, see anything good anywhere on the right. No, I really <laughs> I know, don't. I know. I'm, you are looking at me with just such despair. <laughs> well, not not to mention disgust and disdain. In other words, that begin with D. No, it's not that. It's that. Um, no, we're, we've gone insane, mm-hmm. and I don't want to say. Well, I like the Trump flavor of insanity. Right. Oh, really? I, I I'm all for the Elizabeth Warren. Don't flavor. Don't you
0: like the fact that I know that you don't? But I there's something about the lack of trust in these media institutions that is so healthy, and we knew it all along. And now we've w- ripped it up. We've the illusion is gone because Trump, Trump yelling fake news
1: isn't fake. This is like the last days of the Ceausescus in Romania, but the last day <laughs> is taking effing forever. <laughs> you know, it's just like nobody buys this stuff anymore. Yeah, exactly. You know, and like I am on Fox saying that I view Fox as a propaganda arm, but I also view the New York Times as a propaganda arm and NPR as a propaganda yep. arm. And my point has been to 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 say, look. There is this weird thing about institutions talking to each other. Right. And we're forced to listen in on this conversation where it's like, well, so-and-so over at the New Yorker exactly. said that somebody at the nation said – I'm just like, who are any of you people? Exactly. This is – I worked in men's
0: magazines. The it, Editors edited their magazine for other editors. It's just that insular w- way of living. There was a, uh, a concept that you – Talk you and you tweeted about it, but you also talked about it called the four quadrant model. Yes, and I love this. Can you explain it again just for the viewers? I
1: failed uh, previously. (laughs) The only person who allowed me to explain the four quadrant model. Uh, was Kathy Newman over at Channel 4 when she had Jordan Peterson in her sights. And every time Jordan Peterson opened his mouth, she would say, so what you're saying is is that women are frail and stupid and need constant male protection like in Saudi Arabia. And he would say, well, I I didn't actually say that. And so that move is the move of pushing somebody Mm -hmm. from one quadrant to the other. So let's say what the two axes are. Okay. Let's imagine that some group, Mm -hmm. some mainstream group, has a policy proposal Mm -hmm. that they want passed. Mm -hmm. Your strength of support for that policy proposal is on the x-axis. So if you oppose it, you're on the negative side. If you support it, you're on the positive side. And how positive you are or how negative you are determines how far out you are. Mm -hmm. On the y-axis is some imputed moral virtue Mm -hmm. and how virtuous you are or how – evil and uh, despicable you are is plotted on the y-axis. So for example, let's take immigration. Mm -hmm. Let's imagine that there's a proposal to um, liberalize immigration and import more workers and more refugees and more or less fling open the borders. Mm -hmm. So your support for that would be plotted uh, on the x-axis. And so as a restrictionist, I would be in the negative side Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. um, two-dimensional space. The y-axis would be how xenophobic are you? How xenophilic are you? So Mm -hmm. if I'm xenophilic, I would get a positive score. Right. So I would think of myself as among the most xenophilic and the most restrictionist of people.
0: Which is interesting in itself. Which
1: I think is generic. Yeah. I think the average person Mm – I mean, look, just think about Mm -hmm. the vote, right? Mm -hmm. When you have more people, you dilute your vote. Right? Yes. Like your share. Right, So who's excited about diluting their vote? Raise your hand. Nobody's excited about diluting their vote. Good point. Right. So what we have is we've got this idea that some group of people, uh, which I call immigrant entrepreneurs, that is Americans who make money off of immigration, mm-hmm. have figured out that the great move is to say that anyone who opposes – immigration expansion Mm -hmm. can only do it for one reason. And that is because they hate Brown people, right? They hate foreigners. They are suspicious of people who speak other languages. Mm -hmm. They don't get it. They don't order Chinese, Mm -hmm. you know, Okay. (laughs) whatever that is. That's, like insane. Yeah. And the fact that it hasn't cracked yet, that there—that it seems like, well, that's very interesting. How can you be a xenophilic restrictionist? Mm-hmm. The only way that can be interesting is if everyone is not doing their job because I think it's the generic position in the U.S. Most of us love foreigners, love foreign cultures, love all sorts of things. They're proud of our American immigrant past and they don't want a current uh, influx increased further and they're interested in experimenting with decreasing it. And they're suspicious that large numbers of immigrants are here for an economic reason that has nothing to do with immigrants themselves. It's a question of transferring money from one group of Americans to another. Mm -hmm. And they're using immigrants. And if they could – I always say this. If they could use adorable puppy dogs rather than immigrants, they'd use that because that would be even more bulletproof. (laughs) Yes. Are you against puppy dogs?
0: Yes. You know, um, this reminds me of something that you said about – holding positions on an issue like immigration and i i, I don't I, I, you can you can correct me my my memory might be bad but you, you discuss it like you should look at an issue like a portfolio where you have long and short can you explain do, do you remember that sure yeah so you can have you can have things that seem contradictory but they aren't
1: well like i'm long uh choice in the first trimester mm-hmm. uh and i'm uh, short choice uh, right before birth.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. So
1: you know it's like oh well we can't allow somebody to die mm-hmm. in a la carte or to form relative value position. So it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of the analog of long only investing. If you're only allowed to hold a portfolio of stocks uh, all in the long position, mm-hmm. then you're like a mutual fund. Right. But if you're like a professional investor, you're going to say, well, I'm not really long tech or short tech. I'm uh, long, large platforms, and I'm short startups at the moment, you know, mm-hmm. or something like that. And so, that kind of um, ability to hone and and craft surgical positions is essential for leading a rich life. And a, a large function of the partisan media is to make it impossible. Exactly. And what this is the whole point that I was trying to get at the four quadrant model. Right. In the positive positive quadrant, where you hold the virtue, but you also support the mainstream. I call those the dupes. mm Hmm. If you are in the negative, negative quadrant, that is you have the vice and you oppose it. I call those the troglodytes. Those are people who are like, I don't want those Mexicans crossing our borders, right? Right. right. Okay. Then you've got these other two, which are the really interesting quadrants. You have Mm -hmm. people who are actually often xenophobic expansionists. So, for example, slave, slave owners once upon a time were xenophobic expansionists, yes. they wanted more slaves from Africa and they didn't like them one bit. Right. Okay. And then and in the quadrant that I live in, mm-hmm. you want a restriction because you actually want your fellow Americans to be able to put pressure on their employers uh, by pulling in the supply curve of labor, make, trying to make wages go up, let's say something like that. That's something Trump is for, right? Well, maybe. everybody's trying to figure out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is the first principle thinker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Quadrant, right, and the whole goal of the partisan media is to make it impossible to live in that quadrant, right, and exactly. to hide the existence of the fourth quadrant, mm-hmm. which are the uh, ne'er do wells who <laughs> are for these policies but actually have hold them for totally selfish uh, reasons, not for the virtue that they usually will advertise.
0: I think it's a if 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 people listen to that again. And, and absorb it, it'll – It'll.
1: Well, it's the it, one model that will change your life. Like yeah. if you just watch every position that you hold that you fear somebody – like if you have a position on trans, like I'm not entirely sure that I want to see trans uh, women trouncing mm-hmm. uh, genetic women in sports. Right. Well, you know that within four seconds, your position is going to be recharacterized as, wow, you really don't like these people. Mm-hmm. It's like well, it actually has absolutely nothing to do with it. What is that move? Right. That is the move which says so. What you really mean is X, and that right. is the pull down from quadrant two, where you find very decent people who are also uh, contrarians, mm-hmm. and you try to turn them into troglodytes. Right, you son of a b- yeah. You just don't accept that people are different from
0: you. Yeah, and you know what's happening? It's what you brought up, Jordan Peters- Peterson, earlier with the the Newman interview, which was legendary the quadrant is designed to eliminate contrarians right to, pe- to people the oddball you you're an oddball right yeah you could go I, I i consider myself an oddball i would go uh i've gotten i've been targeted for stuff i've said yeah. you know that's and this quadrant is how they target you well
1: this is it's one move mm-hmm. the one move is there's only one reason for opposing us and that's because you're a bad person yes and the idea is that once you unmask that one move I mean, I admit that the model is ever so slightly complicated, but ten minutes—yeah, just it's, yes—it's it's fine, and it'll change your life <laughs> it, because what you see is is that every single thing is like I really don't know if I love NAFTA as an agreement. Wow, you're a protectionist. Yeah. You fear you can't compete because you just don't got the mojo, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. what? What did you just do in that in that tiny little move? Yeah. So I'm trying to blow the media up by mm-hmm. unmasking what they actually do. Another one of these games is is Russell conjugation. What's that? Well, this is what Frank Luntz figured out, but he didn't realize that he figured <laughs> it out. Um, Bertrand Russell made this point years ago on the BBC, mm-hmm. um, where he he conjugated this concept. He said, uh, "I am steadfast." You are stubborn, and he, she, or it is a pig-headed fool. And the weird thing is we didn't notice that in English, we call things synonyms when they have the same underlying meaning. Mm-hmm. But if they're emotionally shaded in different directions, mm-hmm. we we still call them synonyms. So fink and whistleblower are two conjugations of the same underlying concept. They're technically synonyms. right? But the emotional instruction... Mm -hmm. is to tell you how you should feel. And we focus so much on on, um, critical thinking. We don't focus on critical feeling. Mm. We focus on group think. Nobody talks about group feel. Mm -hmm. And nobody says things like, hey, you're overfeeling this. Yes. Right? Like all day on Twitter, there's an entire group of people, you can call it feeling Twitter, that they feel everything. And and they're coercing you to feel as they do. Yeah. So where we are in all of this is that we don't recognize that the media is instructing us emotionally by giving us whatever shading of the words mm-hmm. are going to grip our heart. So, oddly, we are, in general, for an estate tax and against the death tax. Right. Yes. They're the same thing. Same thing. thing. Yeah. We want to get rid of illegal aliens and we want to support our undocumented workers. <laughs> yes. And, you know, this is just how nuts we are. Mm-hmm. And we don't recognize, of course, other people are nuts. Like, none of this would ever work on me. I, you know, you want to know why all the pricing in the, in the bodega is 9 dollars or four ninety nine? It's because other people fall for it. I would never fall never. for it.
0: Never.
1: <laughs> you know, it's okay. It's so
0: I was thinking of how you describe Twitter. It's that tweet where the person just writes, I'm shaking. Do you ever see those tweets? Yeah, yeah I'm shaking. It's like – and it's it's this – I'm I'm it, well, it is a virtue signaling uh, – virtue signal. By the way, you had a – there's like three concepts I wanted to hit on what you're talking about. You said, talk about the media uh, kind of pushing this quadrant theory. You want your vice signaling? Yes, vice yes. signaling. I was just thinking about the vice signaling. I think I mentioned it on The Five uh, and credited you. I, I love – because I didn't re- – like I vice signal all the time yeah. to get ahead of people who are going to – Address my vices. Well,
1: yeah, well, this is the estufagem strategy. Mm-hmm. So Madeira wine is uh, oxidized and heated. And that's why it doesn't go bad because the bad things that happen to wine that ruin it have already happened to Madeira when it's produced. Ah. And so you can open a bottle of Madeira from a hundred years ago and it's still drinkable. Wow! Right? Okay, so what you're doing is you're beating yourself up. That's what I did with the intellectual dark web. Mm-hmm. I created something that the media would hate on yeah. and they would sp- spread it but it was already pre-beaten up so you can't do much worse than <laughs> exactly. like some intellectual place uh, analogous to where you order hits from uh, from contract killers and uh, child pornography and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Do
0: you think signaling is a good uh preventive measure and cuz we're watching cuz it's like,
1: lousy to have to do it yeah right cuz like i don't love falling over backwards saying what a horrible person i am but like yeah. i'm not that great <laughs> no nobody is you probably aren't either and this no. idea that we're all given this yeah. like assumption well i thought he was a reasonable person well i'm not a reasonable person and you know all these virtues if you ascribe that to me and now you're disappointed whose problem is that i what i loved um was I, I started following this guy Dan Bilzerian?
0: Oh him, yeah, yeah. The inst- he was a, like an Instagram m- promoter, self promoter. Well, of guy. no, he, he's, he's a, running for president, right? Maybe
1: I hope I, so. <laughs> he, he's an authentic uh, crazy genius. Yeah, and his thing is I love guns, girls, and drugs. Yes, <laughs> and so. When you find out that the guy wants to get high and take a bunch uh, of hot chicks and arm them with automatic weapons and shoot at pumpkins out in the <laughs> desert, and you're like, well, he's the kind of a guy who would enjoy putting scantily clad women in, <laughs> in the desert in the middle of the night, c- coked up yeah. with automatic weapons. He's like, yeah, that's my thing. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. what I do. Yeah. I, that,
0: that effectively negates that criticism. <laughs> well, that's, <but>
1: it, <laughs> that's very specific. But it teaches us something about us. Yeah. In other words, we're not as sensitive to the absolute We're sensitive to the relative fall. You told me you were such a good person, Mm -hmm. and now I find out the truth. Yeah. So he's got one photo on Instagram, which I love, where he's offering this uh, beautiful young woman a hand up a step somewhere in Greece, and he's there, you know, chiseled and shirtless, and it says, uh, Come with me, I'll ruin your life, but we'll have fun. (laughs) (laughs) And there's something about doing that honestly that, like, one out of seven people is going to say, Okay. Yeah,
0: you know, it, and, but to you to, to the point of the your quadrant theory, it's not necessarily just it's not the media. It's actually isn't it really an energized modern kind of activist, uh, a lonely, uh, a lonely alienated group of people that are using this as a way to lash out. No, but
1: let's be let's be fair to them. Yeah. We have not left much for Gen X. Mm -hmm. And the millennials and Gen Z in comparison to what the silent generation and then boomers had. Mm -hmm. Now, you and I are strangely just on opposite (laughs) sides of the generational dividing line. You, sir, are the last of the boomers. I
0: know. And
1: I I am the first of the Xers. Yes. 64.
0: You what? 65? 66?
1: 65. Damn you, Greg Gutfeld. (laughs) You stole my future. Yes. No, but we did. Blame me. But, But here's the problem. Um, things got into really bad trouble in the early 1970s there were some strange structural changes the silent generation tried to figure out how to get things back onto an authentic growth path Mm -hmm. didn't work and the boomers said "Oh, okay that all that stuff that you're doing may not be good enough to restart real growth but it's good enough for fake growth and so we're just going to transfuse you uh younger generation so that we can live out our lives in the style to which we have become accustomed and no kidding These generations, the the Gen Xers tried to do the thing that the millennials were doing and it didn't really work. Mm -hmm. And the millennials watched the Xers and saying, wow, there isn't really a corporate ladder. Yes, That's a rope ladder that's fraying and on fire and I'm not falling for that. And so what did they do? They figured out all kinds of ways to jam the system. Mm -hmm. And so in some sense, think of this as like a giant – Um, work Mm slowdown, you know, like these guys are just not cooperative. You didn't give them a future. So now guess what? Now you're going to have socialism. Now Mm -hmm. you're going to have all kinds of, uh, you know, racist stuff in the streets. There's nothing for these people that's going to allow them to have confidence that they can take out a 30-year mortgage. They can take out a 25-year commitment to three children in a decent city that they want to live in. Like that's a real problem mm-hmm. and it's time for people who have won their entire lives to lose.
0: Mm. Well, that's, that's very stark.
1: <laughs> well, we need genie negative stuff. This is something that I, I work on with my wife a bit, which mm-hmm. is a lot of the propositions that are really exciting to people are things that reverse income inequality. Now, mm-hmm. on the right these things are going to sound like nationalism. Right. Like we have to re, you know, redo our trade agreements and close the borders and all that kind of stuff. Those are attempts at genie negative stuff. Mm-hmm. On the left, you're going to have more stuff like uh, universal basic income right. or wealth taxes. Mm-hmm. And so the interesting thing is, is that all of these genie negative things that reverse our levels of, of income and asset inequality don't feel very good. Mm-hmm. What's Andrew doing? He's just going to give free money. We know where that money is coming from. There's no such thing as a freedom dividend. Or on the other side, what are we going to do? We're just going to lock out the rest of the world and turn our back on our own traditions. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking of Andrew, how how can he be – what is he described as? A tech
0: entrepreneur? Is that kind of what he is?
1: I don't think they fit him with a good description. He's a platypus. Because he's – I saw his net worth. It should be a lot
0: higher if you're going to be that guy. It's like I keep finding it's like $1 million to $2 million. So that, That's kind of unusual. I, w- I expect him to be like that guy you mentioned, Dan.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you wouldn't trust him if he would made money. You wouldn't trust him if he didn't make true. money. We're not going to trust him at all. <laughs> yes, that's true. There's <laughs> nothing he can do that can be right, and he has to be left off all CNN and yeah. uh, MSNBC graphics because they, they are using all of these – I, it's insane that, that, that they really think that this is like 1993.
0: Yeah. Well, I interrupted you. I'm trying – you were just about to make a point and now I can't remember where you were. Do you remember? No? No. No. They're good because then I want to transition. OK. I want to transition to your tweets on Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. Because I find it – you are. You were uh, – I think that one of the most recent ones was the Jeffrey Epstein I met would never – and never in all caps have killed himself. Lots of folks met him. He was a bizarre personality. Find me anyone he met who found that personality compatible with a simple suicide. If he just hung himself, then the person we met was a character played by an actor. Yep. That's pretty strong. Uh, So you think uh, he was murdered?
1: I am agnostic.
0: Nah. All right. I don't know. Yeah,
1: I don't know either. I mean, I don't know if he's alive or dead. My assumption is is that he's dead and it's – a very small probability that he's alive, but I'm not discounting that. I have a friend also, who believes that too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I, again, I don't, I don't waste a minute worrying about him being alive, but yeah. I'm going to formally keep that option open. Yeah. Um, whether, here's where this, the weirdness comes from. I met him, I think in 2003 or 4 mm-hmm. uh, So before he got uh, arrested and sentenced in Florida. hmm and i walked out of the meeting and i called my wife back then and i said i just met a construct and she mm-hmm. said what do you mean i said this is not an authentic human being mm-hmm. there's no way this story makes a wit of sense yeah. <laughs> and i've been talking for 15 years about the fact that i don't think that this was an authentic human being i don't think he was a hedge fund trader i don't think he made money from the markets mm-hmm. I don't think he was all that interested in science as he claims to be. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he had a trading operation at Villard House over in Madison Avenue. I don't think any of this stuff was – and I, I've said it while he was alive. Yeah. So for 15 years, I've been using one word with everyone I know who has any connection with him, that he's a construct. I've told people, in general, stay away. Mm-hmm. Um. I haven't known what he – what is he doing there? It doesn't make – the story doesn't make any sense. Yeah. There were two stories when I was in New York that made no sense and one was Bernie Madoff and mm-hmm. the other one was Jeffrey Epstein. Mm-hmm. And I assumed in the case of Bernie Madoff that he was front-running uh, his real business in his hedge fund and so that's how he was making money. That turned out not to be correct. It was a Ponzi scheme. Fine. Mm-hmm. Um in the case of Jeffrey Epstein, I figured that he was a construct probably tied to the intelligence agencies, mm-hmm. not necessarily ours. Right. And what I see now is something like an, a gravitational or Einstein lens. So dark matter can't be seen directly. And mm-hmm. I have a principle which is called the invisible world is first detected in the visible world's failure to close. That is, you learn about things that you can't see – By watching things that you can see behave in ways that make no sense. Right. So if you have a massive object, it bends the light all around it. Mm -hmm. Okay, Well, what's going on with this Epstein story? Ghislaine Maxwell is somewhere. Yeah. She has a passport presumably. I would imagine people would want to know where she is. It's very hard to hide a person like that. At least tell us where was the last place she was sighted. You know – I don't believe that story at all. I don't believe a story in which nobody publishes uh, denials from intelligence agencies. We can categorically say that this pedophile had nothing to do with our intelligence agency. Um, Nobody's running that story. Mm -hmm. You could sell papers debunking conspiracy theories. The interest in Jeffrey Epstein's death is so extreme that if you believe that this is all nonsense, you could sell papers just showing it to be nonsense. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah. Yeah. This story is the most bizarre story of our lives because it shows us that something is radically broken in what we think our newspaper and news programs are. It's
0: amazing how when he died, how we did on our uh, Did you ever on, meet him? No, I've never met him. I
1: uh The hairs on the back of your neck would be standing straight up. That's why I get that's why I get waxed because <laughs> I just I don't like
0: the hairs he, we did a day. We did, led the show with his suicide. Suicide. I do the air quotes, on, and we're not being taped. Uh, the uh, um, and then it went away. It was the fastest story to what? disappear. Right? It's like it was almost like every, the joke. The joke. He didn't kill himself was so obvious kind of that it was treated as a joke and nobody
1: bothered to follow up. No, but the entire internet is just like <laughs> yeah, yes. Can, everybody's watching a magic show for children that expects the lights to be off and the children to be mm-hmm. not that quick and in f- fact it's being performed for grown-ups in a house with the lights up and everyone's looking saying are you effing kidding me? Yeah. Like this this is clear this story is so off. Yeah. And I just don't want to live in a world in which I have to fear that I took a meeting with a guy Mm -hmm. um, to discuss finance and science. I knew something was weirdly, wildly, crazily off. Mm -hmm. Like you have no idea how crazy this guy was. Yeah.
0: A buddy of mine whose parents, I guess, were in the FBI is convinced that it was a body double and he went through it just how the debt – how the body was moved out. I don't want to do that. Yeah.
1: Because that's bad conspiracy theorizing mm-hmm. and the fact is um, good conspiracy theorizing is when you say I can see that there's a distortion and it is not my responsibility to tell you what happened. Right. OK, so I can I can say what the decision tree is and I can tell you that I can put odds on each branch. Mm-hmm. But the key thing is don't get tempted into saying, oh, oh I know it's really going," because you don't. Mm-hmm. The only thing that we know that's really going on is that there is a broad consensus that this story should not be reported in a natural fashion. Mm-hmm. That is what we know. And yeah. we know that with near certainty.
0: It's crazy. If you were, are you writing a book at all? Maybe. Yeah, you. No, the guy behind you. Yeah, <laughs> I figured you must be writing a book. You can, People you... try to get me to write books, and yeah, I, I don't.
1: How, is it because I know? I mean, I've... I'm terrified of what would happen if it was a success. Ugh, oh, jeez. No, 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 not kidding. I mean, look. Yeah. Part of the problem is is that I've been sitting on this way of thinking. Yeah. For a very long time. This is the first time when it is possible to be me in public, and mm-hmm. I'm not entirely convinced that it's a safe thing to be. (laughs) So, you know, one of the things that I've been talking about recently is what I call slipping the Mm disk. And the disk stands for the Distributed Idea Suppression Complex. And the disk is the thing that takes interesting ideas, ideas that might lead us away from the patterns that we've been thinking about Mm -hmm. and into new territory that might be more virtuous, more productive, but it also could be highly disruptive to the current power players. And for approximately 50 years ideas have tended to die quickly mm-hmm. like good ideas have been suppressed so i believe that we are coming out of this like 50 year bubble where it's the first time i'm really hopeful that ideas can propagate and you see the hatred that comes for new ideas mm-hmm. that might show that the institutional players uh, are full of it mm-hmm. or that there might be something much better
0: yeah what? How did how did Teal find you? Like, where did you? I mean, like, what were you doing before that? Were you
1: you were you were a professor? I was originally uh, doing mathematics in order to. I was using mathematics first to um, as a stalking horse to approach theoretical physics, mm-hmm. and then um, I shifted a bit into economics uh, and used something called gauge theory mm-hmm. in. Um, Economic in neoclassical economics, then went over to finance. Uh, one of the first papers on mortgage-backed securities in two thousand one, two thousand two, with Adil Abdelali, um, talking about how the world would end from uh, from these things. Then it was a little bit early. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then um, and then, you know, the weirdest thing that I do is I'm trying to figure out. Uh, why theoretical physics has stalled out since about 1973-74 when the so-called standard model was put in place, Mm -hmm. and where do we go next because I am hell-bent on breaking if possible, the restrictions that uh, the good Dr. Einstein saddled us with. Mm.
0: Are you – where are you on string theory? I can't believe I'm asking you that question as if I even know what string theory is. But you talk about string theory.
1: Well, st- string theory you know, is many different things mm-hmm. but mostly what it is is an organizing principle for the baby boomer generation within uh, theoretical physics in order to indicate that they are still – Uh, Capable and hardworking without any demonstrable successes, as measured by the Nobel (laughs) Committee. Right. Right. So, that it is, in essence, a product that never ships uh, in the standard terms of theoretical physics. Now, um, it comes out of the quantum field theory uh, universe, so these guys are extremely good. They attracted the best and the brightest. But um, the current revolution is more than, you know, it's about 35 years old. And I don't think it's going to go past the baby boom. We didn't understand the extent to which it was really a generational phenomenon. These guys have not been able to make progress. This is the biggest stall in modern physics and they've been using this – I would say it's like generals using war games to keep up their skills rather than fighting actual wars. So that rather than doing things that look like actual physics, they do string theory to make sure that they're in reasonably good shape. Mm.
0: That's a good analogy. I'm going to steal it. I well, don't even, they won't like
1: it. I, but, <laughs> you're you're going to get thrown out of the Institute for Advanced Study, Greg.
0: I'm going to use it on the five, though. I'm going to – in the B block, when we're talking about impeachment, I'm going to bring up string theory. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's going to go over really well. Blosh. <laughs> Why aren't you going to uh, – so you're not uh,
1: – Well, you want me not, to write a book? Yes. OK. I,
0: I would uh, – I, I, it's, it, it's overdue. Although the interesting thing, though, is – Tucker Carlson said this to me. There's no point in doing books anymore. You can – if you are doing what you're doing, you have direct impact. Yeah. Then – No. Yeah. He's wrong. He's wrong?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Because there's something about the archival, Mm -hmm. right? And the idea is that what we're doing in long form – has the feel of ephemera, even, yeah. even if you can store all of these shows. Right, it's gone. You know, and yeah. you need the indexing, you need yeah. curation. So in some sense, books are playing a different role than they used to, but I think it's hard to move away from that form completely.
0: Yeah. Is there anybody you like in the current field, uh, the Democrats? That um, you like?
1: Look, in essence, what you have to do is you have to extract – Mm. Um, various parts of various people. Right. So I like Tulsi giving it back to Hillary. That was awesome. Yeah, she's the I don't, terminator. Yeah, but I don't necessarily feel so comfortable with some of her foreign involvement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like Andrew Yang, a tremendous man. He's a friend of mine. Yeah. Um, I'm not as excited about UBI as I am about Andrew Yang. Right. Um, you I think most
0: people are like that. Well, I yeah. think
1: that you know, I found um, I found Bernie to be kind of heartfelt, decent and reminds us of what progressivism was circa 1950 something mm-hmm. um but it's not updated right yeah. and so I, I believe like he's a maverick um mm-hmm. but it's not as cool to be a socialist when socialism might actually come back and so i'm very scared about i'm a, I, you know i'm long progressivism short socialism communism really right. in some sense <laughs> okay and um you know elizabeth warren i think is extremely competent you've got that kind of harvard vibe but mm-hmm. i find that she can stick her finger into the air and tell which way the wind blows in a way that I can't take. Yeah. Um, you know, and then Trump uh, to give him his due, uh is the first person who figured out how to go up against the entire system and survive and uh unfortunately he comes with all of this crazy uh stuff that is deranging our entire culture and I think it's a completely <laughs> irresponsible thing to do you know I, I i make the joke about the old lady who swallowed a fly and i say i know a young nation that voted a trump mm-hmm. you know so we voted to trump to get rid of the clintons and that was a very dangerous move because i know how that song ends
0: yeah i my, my i mean my sense of it always is is i've divorced myself with the behavior that that, that what you, you see I, I i don't know though
1: Greg. yeah go ahead we all know this is wrong <laughs> you can't use that argument yeah, yeah. I I don't think you can. I think you okay, have to look at person to person. This guy is not fit for office. <laughs> I don't know. I disagree. But no, I don't. You, no, you don't.
0: Yeah. <laughs> look at you. You're trying no, no, no. to. You're it's trying a, to shrink
1: me. He's 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 destroying <laughs> what I call the oral Torah of the United States. You know, whatever our culture is, yeah. he's getting rid of some rot. Mm-hmm. Let's give him his due. I'm not. I don't have Trump derangements. No, no. That's right? fair.
0: No, that's fair. I think um, it is a phenomenon that that. I did not see coming and so I'm always careful of having any kind of emotional response to it because my emotional response earlier blinded me.
1: I'm always early and (laughs) I I always say that early is another name for wrong, right? So I wrote this essay years ago on kayfabe Mm -hmm. uh, as the most important scientific theory nobody nobody knows and of course it wasn't – it's standard scientific theory. It's the system of lies that professional wrestling uses. Uh, for a fake uh, sport. right? And Donald Trump came out of the WWE. Mm -hmm. He understood the suspension of disbelief issue, that people will um, have a divided mind. And the part of them that knows that this is all nonsense will also be side by side with the part of their mind that actually believes this stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is a very dangerous thing to experiment with uh, the one thing that professional wrestling understands much better than any psychology department at any university
0: so you 're falling into this world that I am skeptical of though this bad thing that 's about to happen which is doesn 't happen that 's what I mean this thing that this I, I keep being told that something awful is about to happen, and i haven 't seen it yet, and maybe it'll happen you're well, telling me but you're... this is
1: my point yeah. we have had the the best luck mm-hmm. for you know since nineteen forty five we somehow got through the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, that's true. Um, we somehow had the Soviet Union wrap up without uh, the World War that we, we thought might have accompanied that. Yeah. Um, I've said that the gated institutional narrative has only broken maybe three or four times in my lifetime. One was 9-11. One was the fall of Lehman Brothers. Um one was the election of Donald Trump and the last one was the death of Jeffrey Epstein. These are times when the media cannot figure out how to come up with a fictional narrative fast enough.
0: That's your book. What you just did. Those if you just focused on those events, yeah, and did and, and that's your book. Those are your
1: chapters. Okay.
0: I I just did. What's, I gave, what's my advance? Your advance will probably be. I would I would demand seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Is your, my agent? Yes. Uh, I'll and, and, and no, you know, no no. I'll be your agent. Okay. I'll be I'll work you. I'll work it through. You no, know, you could probably get a better agent than me. Okay. Go to go to William Morris. I can get you a good agent. Greg,
1: what do you really want to talk about, man?
0: I'm done. What? I have to go get makeup. No, it's three. 3- you fi- look fine. No, I have to. You're look- very attractive, Greg. No, thank you. You know that means a lot coming from you, Eric. Because right. I, 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 no, it's three fifty-two. Yeah. I get makeup at four o'clock. Okay, fine. Yeah.
1: But this was great. This was great. But we
0: covered – like I I had eight pages of notes and I didn't even have to look down at them. Well, I looked down at them a couple times. But I wanted to find – is there anything missing? I had other questions, but – We'll save that for part two. Let's plug
1: the portal, the portal.
0: The portal. All right. So if you guys haven't checked out Eric's uh, podcast, it's called The Portal. Where do you find it? You just plug it in, portal, and there it is. I would
1: look for The Portal uh, on Apple, on Spotify, on Stitcher, or go to YouTube. I mean – or I would say and go to YouTube. Yeah. Find my – Find my channel there and click subscribe and the bell icon to be notified when we drop our next episode. I think our next drop will be Sam Harris.
0: Ooh, that'll be fun. Yeah. That'll be fun.
1: I tried to figure out things we could fight about given that we agree. And I, I may have used a little bit too much uh, aggression on that episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's – he. He, I haven't been listening to a lot of his lately, just because uh, he's get the political stuff. Just kind of like I'm try, I try not to bring politics home. Right, my wife, my wife refuses it in the house. Yeah, you know. So uh,
1: looks. I also want to say something else. Yeah. You you put no restrictions on me, and I think it's to Fox's credit that you guys will have somebody on who will say something like, I think Fox is part of a propaganda network, and you Mm -hmm. guys are like, welcome, and it speaks very well of you. I think that on the other side, it's astounding to me that when I go on – this is the first time I've been on Fox. I know what they're going to say. I was like, you went on Fox. Oh, you're
0: going to get crap for it. Well,
1: I know, but like how – Transparent is that game.
0: Yeah, exactly, and that's why you, the the intellectual dark web wasn't created as a response to Fox. It was a it was a response to the death of classical liberalism, or
1: or that I wouldn't or, even say classical liberalism. Most people in it are left of center. It's yeah. the idea that somehow. Uh, If you don't live in Brooklyn and have some crazy uh, position that was formed um, in the English department, um, then somehow you are uh, to the right of Adolf Hitler. I I think that – I hope – that that strain of American idiocy is in its death throes and that it doesn't take responsible progressivism down because we need libertarians, we need conservatives, we need progressives and we need them to be interoperable and to fight each other decently and not in this method that seems to be like a blood sport where we're convinced that somehow we're all in the throes of some sort of genocidal madness if, if the other guys uh, get into power. I think that you know we have to remember – ourselves, and to get back to wanting a loyal opposition. So it's been a pleasure to be on your show.
0: And that's why we need you and we need your book, which right, will be so. out in 20 tw- – it will be spring 2021, just to give you some time. And uh, we already know what the – how the, we already kind of have the proposal worked out. Just need a really strong title. Could be called The Portal.
1: Could be called The Portal? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, let's 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 see if uh, any lonely book publishers out there are flocking to my door.
0: Well, I know my agent listens to this podcast, Jay Mandel, and he's one of the best. I bet he'll call you on Monday. Really? Well, wait. This this will air on Monday. He'll call you on Tuesday. Okay. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, sir. Awesome. Bye, everybody.